listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And i got to tell you something, people. It's the holidays, so whether you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, go enjoy it with your family. But i got to tell you, I'm, I'm a uh, Presbyterian guy who grew up in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood of Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And to this day, I still have to Google Hanukkah. You think after 56 years saying Happy Hanukkah to my friends, sending them cards, you think I would have known how to spell it. But I mix up the N's, I mix up the K's, I don't know if I should put a C on it, I don't know if I should put an H on it. So anyway, but have a good good Hanukkah if you're out there celebrating. Have a great Christmas. Anyway, we have a great show today. My gentleman's an a, a, a extremely talented actor. He's been on you know screen, stage, TV, and my guest is Michael Kostroff. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing well. So now, now, do you celebrate Hanukkah? I do not celebrate. Uh, no, I celebrate Christmas. Okay. Now, do you have a lot of friends who celebrate Hanukkah? I don't. I, I have a, I have a few, but not a, not a lot. Um, maybe a dozen. Yeah. Now, are you? But, but everybody. But everybody spells it differently, and that's your question. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? I mean, it's one of those things, like Christmas, everyone, some people have Xmas, some people have Christmas, but it's just funny. Right. So, uh, I got to ask you, you're, you're a New York guy. You're, you were born in New York, I believe. So, I was in New York. I was waiting tables. I was working. I, I, you know, I had a job here and there. I had a little, little movie part, but not, not much. And I looked at a list that were like 40, and then how many were shot in, uh, in New York. And I thought, if I'm not working, I'm going to try L.A. for a while. And I thought I'd go out there for six months and check it out. And the funny thing about LA, the wheels turn slowly. And because you don't know the season changes, but before you know it, you've been there a long time. So I, I was just going to go out there for, for a six-month experiment. And I, I started to connect a little better, and I started to get more auditions. And before I knew it, I'd been there 20 years. And I had a fantastic television career. And I just, after 20 years in LA, I just... I got homesick. I just was like, you know what? It's, it's really time to go be a New Yorker again because that's the, the town that makes more sense to me. And I, I, I you know, still want to do New York, New York theater. And uh, but uh, yeah, it was just a, it was just an experiment that kind of went well. <laughs> well, I got to ask you this because I lived in LA for uh, fifteen, no, eighteen years. But when you first moved out to LA, were you familiar with the area? Did you have friends? And where did you live when you first moved out? Now, but yeah, I, I, Hollywood. Hollywood is not. <laughs> I, Hollywood is not uh, 
not what people imagine it to be. Oh, I know. I when I first moved to LA, I lived on a Leland Avenue, which was behind, uh, right near Highland and Sunset, and it was. Uh, yeah. I paid three eighty five for a studio apartment, <laughs> and it was funny. It was right there. Like, it was like walking distance to a bar called the Powerhouse, and there was Hollywood High School right there. But it was sketchy. Yeah. You didn't want to be out past like eleven thirty walking around because you didn't know what would happen. Oh yeah, I lived on a street. I used to call it Crack Street because you know. It, <laughs> And uh, one day, uh, a cop pulled me over. He said, you know why I stopped you? I said, no, why? He says, well, you didn't, you didn't stop at that stop sign. I said, officer, no offense, but in this neighborhood, you don't stop at stop signs because you get sent it on by drug dealers. And he said, yeah, I got no problem with that. Have a good night. <laughs> he couldn't argue with me. Now, now when, when you were in L.A. in the early part of your career, what kind of roles were you getting auditioned for? What, what, what were you getting called? Were you a certain type? What, what were they looking for? Well, you know, I've always been a character guy, and I think that's also why I didn't really work till I was in my 30s or so, because I, you know, I, I, I was playing a, you know, a, a cop or a, a, a lawyer or, um, you know, a grouchy neighbor, and that, that's my bread and butter. That's where I live. So, um, you know, when I was in my 20s and was skinny and had all my hair, nobody knew what to do with me. So, um, so yeah, I, was, I, 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 uh, Oh, I played an accountant, uh, played all those, all those kind of fun character roles. And, you know, they're often fun, especially on sitcoms, because you got one, one, one or two lines to, to land a joke, and I always love that challenge, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, all those, all those character guys. Now, as you were acting at that time, were you getting also pilots? Because it seems like back in the day, they were just giving pilots out all the time, and pilots would go, and they wouldn't be picked up. I mean, I know people who have done so many pilots that have never been picked up. Were you in any pilots back then? No, that was not. That, that wasn't my particular trajectory. I, what I've learned is that it's the young, pretty people that, just, that go out for lots of pilots in the twenties. You know, um, I uh, I didn't have a lot of pilot auditions. I would work a lot more during episodic season, which is typically in the fall, uh, where they have all kinds of guest stars, you know, and I would be the, you know, the criminal of the week or the lawyer of the week or the, you know, the, the, the funny, quirky character of the week. And that's where, that's really where I, and still, I think that's where I, where I tend to work the most is, you know, now it's, now it's just almost wall-to-wall lawyers, uh, <laughs> you know, I've played a lawyer on almost every show that has them. And, um, uh, that's typically when I work the most. Pilot season is a little slower for me because, um, uh, as I say, the, 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 the main core characters are usually uh, a, a different type than I am. They're usually young, young, pretty folk. Now, being a character actor, like something with King of Queens, you were on, you know, once again, you were on once a season. Do you know they're going to be calling you back, or is it just something that you go in, you do it, and you think, maybe they'll call me back? Um, in that case, it was a surprise, but a lot of the roles I do, I know going in that it's going to be recurring. I don't know exactly when, you know. Um, uh, so, so it works both ways. Like Law & Order, for example. Law & Order called me back for another episode like every six months to a year. And, I, you know, I just happen to really get along with the team there and they really like me. So uh, that's always a surprise. Um, but, for example, um, The Blacklist. I had a recurring role on the blacklist, and I, I knew it was going to be a, a chunk of episodes. I just didn't know when they were going to come up. So, you know, 
sometimes there's some, some schedule coordination that has to happen. Uh, and sometimes I'm not available when they need me and they, they need to reschedule their episodes. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so it works both ways. But, but the, one, the one, like King of Queens, I had no idea. It was such a great surprise to be called back uh, and have my character return. Now, you're getting a lot of work, and then all of a sudden you start to you get involved with the producers. How did that come about? Well, um, ironically and, and, and counterintuitively, as so many things are, you know, I was in New York all those years wanting to be in a big Broadway show, and nothing ever happened. And I was in L.A., and my manager there said, they want to see you for the producers in New York. And I went, okay. So I flew in, you know, uh, and really thought, well, there's no way this is going to happen. I'm auditioning against guys who've been making their living on Broadway. So, you know, much to my surprise, they they uh, they, they called me back and ended up casting me. And that was, that was really kind of a dream come true job because I was touring the country in the first national tour of the producers. And um, I was in the ensemble playing 12 roles at night and understudying Max Bialystok as well as Roger DeBrie, two hilarious roles. Um, and I've, I've gone on to do... I think seven productions of that show since uh, playing Max Bialystok, which is one of the most demanding roles in musical theater. So, uh, yeah, it was, um, I always enjoy the things in our business that make no sense. But it made no sense that I was working as an L.A. TV actor and all of a sudden um, this came up for me. But, um, yeah, all, all of a sudden I was on the road. Now, right. now when you're an understudy, yeah. When do you know when you're going to perform? And you know, and if you don't, like, let's say you played twelve, you understudied, and you also played twelve different characters. Well, what happens if you have to step up and play Max? Who picks up the slack for all the characters that you play? Oh, you've asked a really great question, a series of questions. First of all, um, there's very little notice when I'm going to go on. The first time I went on as Max Bialystok. I got a call that morning for the matinee. I think I probably got a call at like 10, 10 in the morning, and there was a 2 p.m. matinee, and they said, our, our star is sick, you've got to go on. So they really rehearse you meticulously so that you're ready to just, you know, load up and go, uh, which is not to say it isn't terrifying. But um, now I get to tell you about swings, and these are some of the unsung heroes of, of musical theater. So a show like The Producers, we had five people that were called swings, and swings know every ensemble track in the show. The guys learn all the male ensemble tracks, the women learn all the female ensemble tracks in the show. So that when I stepped into the lead, there was a guy who suited up, he has a set of costumes that looked just like mine, and he played all my parts. It was amazing. And the weirdest thing was to be on stage playing Max the Outstock and turn and see somebody else in my costumes. It was just, it's just bizarre. But these guys are amazing. They're, they're always triple threats. They sing, dance, and act. And they can do anything. And they've got these really detailed notebooks they keep so that they go, okay, today I'm going to be playing Michael Kostroff's track. What is that? And got, he has to review it. And they've got to know all the costume changes. And it's, it's really something. And um, I, I always wish more people knew about swings because the swings typically uh, are off stage except when they're pressed into, into service. And they're... They're like a SWAT team, honest to God. Now, what is it like? So you sit there, they call you at 10 o'clock for a 2 o'clock matinee, and I'm sure all of a sudden it's like 
I'm a baseball fan. It's like probably getting caught up to the show. What is the downswing after you play that and then you have to go back to your other roles the next day? Is that hard to adjust to? Oh, no. It was a relief. Um, so, you know, I was understudying one of, one of the biggest, scariest parts in, in show business because he's almost never off stage. And it won a Tony for Nathan Lane. And, you know, you can't let the show down. So, you know, and it was a two-show day. So I had two performances and... You know, really spent the day going, okay, don't, don't, don't screw up, don't screw up. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. I did really well. The play, you know, the show, show went off without a hitch. But the next day when I got to go back to my familiar track and my familiar costumes, it was like, it was like, oh, okay, good. Um, you know, it, it, it was not, it was not disappointing at all. It was, it was perfectly fine. Now, when the tour ends, you were there. What you were for? What two years or a year? How long were you on? Uh, how long were you with the producers? Um, I stayed a year. The, sh- the, the, the tour lasted three years, but um, after a year, I was invited to do Les Misérables on tour. So I, I left the producers to go on another tour, uh, and that was that was also loads of fun. And um, uh, and I stayed about a year. After a year, you, you don't know what town you're in anymore. So I, I had to get off the road and try other things. Um, uh, I find that that's a, that's about as much time as I get. When I, when I find myself going to the hotel phone to figure out what town I'm in, <laughs> it's time to go. It's, it's time to leave. Now, <laughs> you know? now, when you're when you're doing on the road, is it hurting your your screen, your TV career, and your acting career? How does that work? Because yeah. you know you're doing that, you're away from the business, and as you know, people people listening, Hollywood just remembers the last thing who you are. They don't. I mean, seriously, they'll they'll replace you in a heartbeat. How did that? How did that work for your career when you went away? I'm sure it made you a, a, a stronger actor because you you're cutting your chops every night. But how did it work with the industry? There's like another great question because you're absolutely right. You know, you disappear for a while, um, and it's you know it's always a trade-off. Like right now, I'm on the other side of that where because my TV career is as prominent as it is, I'm turning down theater work that's offered to me because I'm just I have to stay available, so I'm, I'm, I'm staying unemployed, you know, for, for, to be available for the television that comes along as opposed to taking the theater job. I always say, you know, whatever you, whatever you choose to do, you're going to miss something else, and that's just true of life. And, you know, the trade-off is, you know, with being on tour with the producers, I had steady weekly employment for a year, which is unheard of for actors, and I knew where I was going to be and what my job was going to be. It's a tremendous luxury. And at the same time, after a while, I had to say, okay, well, I've got to, I've got to water the other garden now and make sure that my, you know, TV trajectory doesn't collapse. So, you know, it's, it's always a calculation figuring out what to do next. But to be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't that established then, so I wasn't missing a whole lot. Uh, now it's different. Now I, now I, I have a harder time stepping away for a year from television work because, um, uh, particularly, you know, I've got a, a big HBO thing that, that's going to uh, start airing in March, and I, I you know, I, you just have to be available because it, it's going to bump up the recognition a little further, and it's just, it's always, it's always a calculation, and it's a hard one, you know. Now, now, how do you, how did you adjust from coming off the road, 
cutting your teeth every night to all of a sudden getting an audition or, you know, going on to a TV show where you're there for a sitcom, it's there for a week, even a drama, it's there for a week. How did you adjust as the actor? Were you missing the the performing every night and the instant gratification you get when you're on a show like the producers are La Miserable because people are enthralled by it. How did you sit there and adjust to that? And did you get bummed out at all because you missed it? The first couple of weeks were the weirdest because, I mean, I had done, oh, God, 300, 500 performances of, of, of those shows. And uh, uh, every night at 8, at 8 o'clock, I'd jump up in my living room because I thought I was late for something. <laughs> um, you know, but, I mean, it really is like, uh, it's weird to say it's like coming back from a war because it's not. But, I mean, it, it, it is such an adjustment in your routine. It was very weird. Um, I, I still think... I made the right decision, and uh, you know, uh, and it, it was suddenly a little bit too quiet. Uh, not only because of the show, but because you know, when you're on the road, you're a traveling village. You got your friends, you hang out, there are drinks after the show. It's very lively, you know. Um, uh, but, but soon enough, I started to, to really book a lot of TV work, and then that's fun in a different way. You know, it's they're, they're very different art forms, and I love them both. I really do. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, it was you're. you're you're right. It was a huge adjustment, huge. Because again, it's it, it's it's seven days a six days a week, you know, and then really seven because you're 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 not heading home at any point. You're just going to the next hotel. Uh, but it's a great life. I actually can't, the, the 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 road's kind of fantastic because you visit towns you never thought you'd see. And um, one of the things I love most is you know when you come from New York, I, I have to confess tend to be a little snobby about other places and think that every place else is terribly dull. And you go on the road, you realize there's interesting stuff happening everywhere. Like, you know, Des Moines, Iowa, loves theater, loves theater. Um, you know, there's, there's, there are great cultures in, in places you never thought you'd ever want to visit. You know, Cleveland has a thriving theater scene, you know? And, and, and uh, So you're touring, you're having fun, then you get out of it. Now, you're working, you're getting a lot of guest spots. You know, you're here, you're there. Then The Wire comes along. Tell me the whole story about The Wire, how you got that part, and then how you ended up becoming a regular. And also, did you know it would be like the... I mean, that's one of the shows that everybody loves who watches it. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Uh, we had no idea what it was. We, we, in fact, I, I, I'll tell you, HBO didn't know what it was because every year... David Simon had to go pitch it again because they were going to cancel it every year. And he had to go pitch and tell them what the next season was going to include, you know. Um, so it's um, it, it really something. Um, so the wire is an interesting thing because, you know, my, my project, but we don't really believe in doing special favors. So she called me up. She said, I think there's a part on this I think you'd be right for. Um, you want to come audition for it? I said, of course. So I went and auditioned for this role that my sister thought I would be right for, and I, I didn't get it. Um, and then David Simon, who you know, is the creator and writer of the show, looked at my, my audition on video and said, let's bring him in for this other part, Levy. 
I said, great. So I went in, I got the second part that I auditioned for that David thought I'd be right for. Now that part was only supposed to be two episodes. And they just kept writing me in. Um, but it was still, again, what we discussed earlier, it was a recurring role. I knew I'd be on it several times. I just didn't know how much or when. And they'd call me up and say, are you available this week? Because, uh, you know, in two weeks from now, can you come, come to Baltimore and film? And I, I would. Um, and then the, uh, the last season, they decided to make him a series regular because he was crucial to the story. And part of the reason they do that is so they could lock down my time and know that I was not going to, they weren't going to have to worry about whether or not I was going to be available for certain episodes. So they wanted to make sure that I was available for the season. And uh, it was kind of cool because it was supposed to be this little two-episode role, and it ended up being uh, a very important part of the plot. And I loved it because it was, you know, the character was just an awful human being, uh, so different from me, and uh, and it was a lot of fun playing such a jerk, you know, for five seasons. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, the, the show became legendary, and, and I I had no idea it was going to be that, but I, but it is a it is a fantastic. Just great storytelling, you know. Great characters. Now, what's it like? Uh, what's it like when you go from being, you know, recurring in most of your career? As you said, you know, you had, you know, on episode maybe you recur. What's it like when all of a sudden you're a series regular? Is there a different feel? Is there a confidence going? You know what? I have. I don't have to worry. It's sort of like when you're in theater, you don't have to worry about working for that amount of time is it is it does yeah. it take a lot off your mind as an actor and make you be able to concentrate more on your part it really does i mean i think again that's why it's structured that way because i you know it gave me all the time that i needed to, to learn the scripts which were you know now now a lot more lines um but it does another thing i mean a- actors typically uh, just contrary to what most people think we, we, we typically think we suck most actors think we're pretty mediocre and that we're faking it and, you know you get a series regular and you start to think maybe you might be an okay actor <laughs> you start to buy it a little bit I was barely at the point where I'm thinking maybe I'm okay maybe I'm alright so it, you know it helps you helps, helps you think maybe you picked the right career um, uh, and I gotta say you know when you see your, your name in the opening credits it's, it's kind of it's, it's encouraging I guess that's the best way I would describe it. It's really encouraging. Now, um, as an actor and as a person, what's it like being part of an iconic series when you encounter people? And you probably see people who know your character, and since your character was a jerk, they probably think you're a jerk. But what is it like once you get that kind of role that you know the people who watch The Wire love The Wire? because I, I get recognized uh, fairly often uh, on the street of New York or actually wherever I go I, have, I got recognized in Paris you know uh, and it, at first I, I used to get a little mad because people would stare at me and I, I was like what's their, what's their problem why are they staring at me it didn't occur to me because I don't I don't feel different I'm you know uh, and I it took me a while to catch my, you know, my wife started saying, yeah, they recognize you from TV. Um, and uh, it, 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 it's been very interesting, uh, <laughs> you know, because the character was so awful. I, 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 one, one guy came up with a big smile on his face. He said, I hate you. You're horrible. <laughs> and I smiled back. I said, thank you. He said, we just had a whole talk about whether we should even come say hello. 
hello to you. I was like, I'm so glad you did. He goes, you're nothing like your character. Like, yeah, I'm nothing like him. But I think some people don't even approach because they, you know, they're like, well, that, that guy's an ass. Um, the worst, though, is, is I, sometimes people don't know how they know me. They just know they don't like me. So I sometimes get very hostile treatment, like from, from waiters or, you know, Everybody hates dentists, so it's it's yeah. series ends you know more you know more series regular you have to get back to the grind i'm sure it upped your stock in the hollywood field because it was such a acclaimed show but what's it like all of a sudden starting from sort of from block one again said about coaching i know uh, your website is uh, audition psych 101 it says in the yeah. intro that you're formerly the world's worst auditioner what made you yeah. so bad okay i uh i i, I had uh, i was very very shy and 
had real anxiety about presenting myself in any way. Like, uh, walking into a store and asking for something was miserably uncomfortable for me. I didn't want to be noticed. I didn't want anyone to talk to me. I was very shy. I felt really socially awkward, you know, didn't make friends easily. So this is not the kind of person for whom auditioning comes naturally. And auditioning was so fraught for me that I couldn't remember what happened in the room. It was like a blackout because the terror was so great. Um, and over the years, you know, I really have picked, a, picked at that and picked apart what's going on for me and gotten a much better understanding of some of the places where I, I, my thinking was off and I was making it a lot more terrifying than it needed to be. Um, and before I knew it, I, I had come to love auditioning. And I'd come to love coming in and presenting myself, coming in and singing a song or playing a scene just for that, just for the fact that that day I got to do what I love to do, you know, as opposed to being focused on the results, which we can't control. Um, and a friend sort of drafted me into teaching this class that I really didn't know. I really didn't realize that I had a, a developed this, this, this body of knowledge or this, this working theory of auditioning. And she said, of course you, of course you have. And I started to teach this thing, and, 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 and it's been so beneficial to actors, and they've been so, they've been so appreciative, and uh, they tell me that it, that it really has, has changed their approach. And so I continue to teach it. It's sort of my, my, my mission now to try to, try to spare actors the, the, the terrible anxiety that I had going into auditioning and, and you know, uh, introducing them to a way that, that makes it actually fun to do. Uh, which it is for me. I just, I always say, you know, it's a chance to act on a Tuesday. You know, I'll call my wife and I said, today I get to be, today I get to be a dentist and a, a you know, a, a, and, a, and, a, and an accountant. You know, today I get to be a, a you know, a, a, a murderer and a, a cop. You know, I've got, I've got these little appointments around town where I get to do these different, different gigs, and it's kind of fantastic. Now, when you teach, when you've been teaching, has there been any students? that you just really noticed a gigantic difference. I'm sure everyone's going to get better with your, because you're, you're a skilled, trained actor who's had a lot of success, so, and they're going to learn from you. But have you ever, have you had any students that just, you went like, holy crap, this person went from being a mouse to a lion? Yeah, well, I, I, I find that out mostly from emails, uh, because people will, will keep me posted on their progress. Um, it's especially interesting, you know, the class is a, is a one-night class. It's just four hours, and it's mostly conversation. But what's really interesting is when they go on their next audition after class and the next one after that, and they start to, to work work on, on how they approach those things mentally. And, I, I mean, I never claim that my class is going to enable people to get work because I think that's the wrong focus, but that's kind of what happens. I start to get emails from people going, I, I, you know, I've put more in the last two months than I have in the last five years. And, you know, it's, that's, that's what's mind-boggling to me is, yes, there have been people who had tremendous issues like mine, or, or even not. I mean, a lot of actors just, just hate auditioning and, and don't feel that they can do their best work in an audition. Um, and getting, getting those emails is like, it's like Christmas every time. I can't even believe it. It's that I'm able to be the facilitator of that is, it's really humbling, i got to tell you. Now, do you, do you ever think that they are going out and having more confidence because you believe in them? Because, you know, in this business, it's as I said, it's not like people believe in people all the time. 
I'm sorry, I need you to, to repeat that one. I said, do you think that some of them get the work because you believe in them? And in this in this business, it's so hard to have someone believe in you. No, I don't think that's it. I mean, I, you know, the core of, 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 of one of the core principles in my teaching is that uh, anytime we go to an audition trying to get a job, we've given ourselves a nerve-wracking, impossible task because there are so many variables and it's so subjective. But here we are trying to trying to you know defuse a bomb, and, and so of course we're anxious. And when we get refocused on what we know how to do, which is okay. Like I always say, I, you know, I, if I have an audition and I'm playing a doctor, i got to go in that room and tell the patient what's in the chart. That's what I know how to do as an actor. I know how to replicate human behavior. I don't know how to get picked. I don't know how to be the best choice. I don't know how to, you know, try to intuit what they want. And that is the part that's the most nerve-wracking more, is that they're, they're not going to an audition trying to get a job. They're going to an audition trying to do good acting work, you know, trying to play the scene well. Uh, and I always say this is the only time you're going to play. You're probably not getting this job. Most of the time you don't. We're completely focused on the wrong outcome. So if I'm only going to play this part once, I just want to have a hell of a time playing the part today. That's it. Now, I want to go back to your career. What was it like working on Law & Order? Because it's, it's such a well-oiled machine because it's been around for so long. Yeah. Uh, Law and Order uh, is one of my favorite places to work. Uh, I think the main reason is because of Mariska Hargitay, who is, um, after all those years of doing the show, still such a great leader. Um, I'm not being paid to say this. I just happen to really adore this woman. She's she's still really doing the acting work. She's never phoning it in. And also the part that people don't know is she's one of the funniest people I've ever met. You would never guess it from the show. She's hilarious. So because I've been on the show a number of times and she and I really have a rapport, she'll just try to mess me up and we'll crack up. And she's just so, so fun to work with. And I think what keeps it from being a machine is that she is really specifically invested in every episode. She makes sure to meet every every guest star and, and have a conversation with them. Well, not even the guest stars. If there's a visitor on the set, she's like, who's this? I want to meet this person. So I, I, I think, it, you know, when they say it comes down from the top, it really does. She sets an atmosphere on that show. And I think that's why it's still on. It's still good, you know? It is. I mean, it's they still keep it going. Me and my wife watch it. And, you know, it's something that you think, ah, it's getting old. And then the series, every season, they still hold their own. It's a great show. And I, I, I really, I just can't say enough about her. She's just, She's delightful, delightful to work with. Now, and I've seen her. I've seen her work with actors who are, um, you know, sometimes there's a, somebody in a small role who's not maybe not particularly good, and she coaches. I mean, she, she without ever making them feel like less than. She's like, let's work on this scene. I want to see what what else we can do here. And she's really, uh, she's great. She's just a great person. Now, earlier in the interview, you know, sometimes you said as actors don't feel you. You said you're finally feeling like you have some talent. But now you, you look, you, you, you worked I on, maybe. Yeah, well, you maybe, but you worked on the blacklist. You worked on good, good wife. Tell me about those series, because, you know, they're both, they're both very popular. They both have big followings. Is it, does that make you feel good when you get a role on a show like that? Oh yeah. Oh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a tremendous vote of confidence because it's no secret 
they always have lots of choices. You know, and I, as I said, whenever I get a, a part, I'm like usually I usually say you're kidding. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't mean to be falsely humble. I, I mean, at this point, I I I've started to get it that you know people like my work, but um, those are big shows, and and it, you know, television is so expensive to make that they're very meticulous in their casting choices. So it's really very flattering. The Blacklist is the one I really want to talk about because I loved that. It was one of my favorite things I've ever done. Um, I was playing a detective, um, and the director said, you know, uh, let's do something different with this. We're always seeing the tough detective who intimidates people, who's really savvy and, you know, really rough around the edges. He said, you never see the guy who just loves justice and really cares about what, you know, what things being right. And I just loved it. It was First of all, a lot closer to who I really am. And I, I just really love this character. Um, it, it, he just really was frustrated when the system didn't work for good. Um, and it was complicated because he was trying to, to bust one of the main characters on the show, you know. And uh, anyway, I just, I, 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 I treasured that guy. Was just, and again, different for me because I'm usually playing very icy, tough lawyers. And, <laughs> I'm always grateful to break out of that. So. And now, how about The Good Wife? Did you like your character on that? Yeah. <laughs> the Good Wife was fun. It was, you know, it was funny because I was uh, playing an NSA agent. Uh, they had me working with these sort of like young, hackery guys who came to work in t-shirts and played video games. And I was very by the book and with a tie. They gave me, they always gave me shirts that were uh, like, slightly too small around the neck to make me more <laughs> uptight and bulgy, you know. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I love that, that gig. And, and, you know, it was fun working with these young actors and they were, you know, uh, they, they, their characters were set up to annoy my character and it was a lot of fun. Well, now, now you, uh, we said you were on The Wire. Now you're also on The Deuce and that's an HBO okay. show. Does, is that something that HBO remembers you and they call you back, or is it something that you're just in that inner circle now that you had to audition, or did they offer you that role, or did you have to audition? Oh, I, I, I had to audition. I, I'm sort of in the HBO family, and, and the David Simon family, which is within HBO. So I've done several shows for David Simon, and then I've also done, like, uh, The Wizard of Lies, which was, uh, you know, the De Niro thing about Bernie Madoff, uh, which is an HBO thing. So I think I'm sort of under the HBO umbrella, which is nice. They, they, they remember me. and they, But, but I've, I've always uh, auditioned until just this last thing that I, that I did, which was The Plot Against America, which is coming out in March. And I'm super excited about this one. Uh, and that was a straight offer, uh, which is also very nice. But um, uh, super excited about that. But, but uh, yeah, I think, I think, you know, it's a simple principle. People like to work with people that they like to work with. They, you know, it's, it's always more comfortable working with the folks who you know you're going to get along with and, and produce good work with. Now, in the deuce, what's it like to be? It's in a different time. What's that like as an actor to play a, a role? It's a different time of this country. What is that like? Uh, it's. It's. Uh, I, I love that. Uh, you know, it, it's. Uh, since most of us as kids just wanted to play make pretend, this is you know even more make pretend than, than and you always learn stuff. You learn stuff about that era, you know. 
the plot against America takes place in the 40s during World War II. Uh, that was, of course, great, just wardrobe and cars and, uh, you know, it was, that, was, that was even more exciting going back to the 40s. But uh, I thought they did a great job on the Dukes. So, I mean, I remember New York in the 70s, and they really, they really nailed that. Now, tell me about the plot against America, because I'm looking at the, uh, you know, Winona Riders and a John Totoro, Ben Cole, <coughs> you. What is the plot, and uh, what makes it so, you feel, but what, what, what makes it so good? Um, okay, so it's, it's based on a Philip Roth novel. <laughs> uh, that is uh, fictional history, like much like The Man of the High Castle. Uh, and in this story, it's World War II, and, and instead of FDR getting reelected, uh, Lindbergh is elected president, and Lindbergh was a Nazi sympathizer, and um, the, the, the whole tone in the country shifts, and suddenly there's a lot more room for anti-Semitism, and it becomes a lot more expressed, and it just starts creeping like a cancer, and uh, uh, there's just a, a big change in the culture, and... Um, uh, it, it's a, it's a, I, when I read the book, it, it was such a page turner. You just didn't want to put, put it down. It was like, I was nervous the whole time. And I mean that in the best way, because uh, you just don't know what's going to happen next. Um, what makes it great, honestly, is, uh, you know, David Simon is extraordinary. He is, is, David Simon is just such an extraordinary writer. And the, the, what he's, the way he's taken the, from the novel, which was from one character's perspective, to HBO, where it's from several characters' perspectives, is completely engrossing. Uh, and, and, of course, the look of it, the art direction, the costume design, um, that really squarely placed it in, in Newark, New Jersey in the 40s, and it's, uh, it's great. It, I, 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 it's a six-parter, uh, and I, I just, I'm so itchy for it to come out. Uh, it airs, I believe it's March 16th, I think it's the premiere, and it's the, it's the debut. Now, and, uh, I was yeah. going to say now you, you, you know they said it takes place in the forties. You did the you did the seventies. Uh, you did whenever the producers take place. You did La Miserable. What is your favorite time era so far that you've been involved with? Uh, it's got to be the forties. I mean, everybody wore hats, cool ties, and shoes, and you know, I, I just love being in that era. It was kind of great. I felt very at home there. Now, what uh, what's next on your on your uh, on, you know plot against America's already shot. What's next for you right yeah. now? I know it's the holidays. You're chilling out. You're in Idaho. But then, what is it like for you as an actor? What when you get back to the grind? Is there still a grind? Or when? What is your normal life like as a successful actor? Okay, so you know there really isn't a norm. Uh, it, it's
what I call the familiar unknown, which I I think a lot of outsiders go, my God, how can you live like that? And now it is entirely my norm. I, I don't know what auditions will come up. I don't know what gigs are going to come up. I, I just know that um, this next period after Clue is one during which I really just have to sit and, and do my classes and my, and my coaching, whatever else I you know, socialize. But really, I have to just, it's a time when I just have to be available, you know? No. Uh, we've actually turned down several theater jobs that would have been in March because I've, it's not a time when I can be out of town. Now, who are you playing in Clue? I'm playing uh, Professor Plum. Okay. That was played by uh, uh, Christopher Lloyd in the movie. And who else is in it? Uh, the, the, the people I, I know who are friends of mine is a guy named John Tracy Egan who's done Upteen Broadway shows. He's absolutely hilarious. We've worked together. I think I think it's got to be five shows now. Uh, Mark Price uh, is another guy, a similar similar guy. He's done a bunch of Broadway shows. We keep working together. Uh, a woman named Donna English, really really funny, and uh, a woman from uh, Kathy Fitzgerald who was in the original production of The Producers. Uh, and, and we get to work together for the first time. I'm excited about her. So the rest of the people I, I, I don't know, they're, 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 they're future friends. Well, that's awesome, man. You know what? I, I want to... Wanna... Being... Go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, go ahead. Well, it's being directed by uh, Casey Hushin, who's a, uh, a director I've wanted to work with for a long time, uh, who was a protege of Casey Nicolau, who is a multiple Tony-winning director-choreographer uh, on Broadway. So that's, that's, a, that's another part of it that's kind of exciting. Well, yeah, I, I want to thank you for taking the time today, Michael. It was great talking to you. You've, you've had quite the uh, quite the great career. I mean, you know, you sit there and you look back and just the, the, you must look at your resume of work and say, you know, you've worked on some killer shows. You know, some people oh are, are wishing for one great show. You've been part of so many great shows. How does that make you feel when you when you sit there and actually look at your resume? Just really, honest to God, incredibly lucky. I just I I. I think I'm still surprised. I just feel I just feel really lucky. I I always think it's uh, it's gold in this life to love your job. You know, not everybody loves their job. I love my job, and uh, to get to get to get to do what I do for a living is is pretty pretty phenomenal. And then there, there are weird things like a couple of uh, last month I got flown to Puerto Rico for for a one day shoot. I'm like, who has this life? Right. Just, Kind of amazing. So yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm honestly really grateful. I'm really grateful that I get to do what I do for a living. Well, I want to thank you. And uh, now, now, can people book with you from Audition Psych 101? Uh, yes, of course. You're, you're talking about like for coaching and things. Yes, because I saw your website. I want to make sure your website's up to date because sometimes people have a website and they haven't messed with it for a while, and people can't get in touch. But so the website is working. Yeah, the, the website works. So, you know, the, the, I don't do a lot of social media, but I'm there. So I'm, I'm, I'm findable. Okay, well, uh, people find him. Go, you know, people go to IMDb, type in Michael Kostrop, and just look at all his work. And go check out his work. Go put it on your Netflix. Go check it out. So people also check out my website, coopertalk.net. I have over... Uh, God, 765 episodes? Email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. Steve Cooper, I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you.